0: When will the kingdom of God come? When will the second coming of Christ happen? Those are questions that Jesus addresses to a certain degree. Next, in Luke 17, here on Abounding Grace. Wouldn't it be nice to know the exact day of Jesus' return? Life would be easy, wouldn't it? We could live like we want, and then the day before, get all prepped for it, and you're good to go. That's not how it works, though, is it? You see, ours is a life of obedience, a life of love towards Christ, looking forward to his return. And while we don't know the day or the hour, there are some signs that Jesus lays out for us. Those signs we're looking at today here in Luke 17, verses 20 through 37, and the significance of Jesus' visit to Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
1: Matthew Henry said, The disciples thought they would carry out the Great Commission without a glitch and expected a constant series of success in their work. But Christ tells them, It will be otherwise. The days will come before you finish your testimony and done your work when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, the prosperity and progress of the gospel, and shall not see it. At first you will have wonderful success, and they did when thousands were added to the church in one day. But do not think that it will always be so. No, no, you will be persecuted and scattered and silenced and imprisoned so that you will not have opportunities of preaching the gospel without fear as you now have. People will grow cool to it when they have enjoyed it a while so that you will not see such harvests of souls gathered into Christ afterwards as at first. This looks forward to his disciples in later ages. They must accept much disappointment. The gospel will not always will not be always preached with equal liberty and with success. And that's important for us to remember today, beloved. You know, there was a time when church buildings could not hold the people who came to reform Presbyterian churches. They couldn't hold them. We don't live in those days now. We may not live in those days for a long time yet. And we may long for them. We will preach and work toward them. But don't let the days in which the gospel is not as successful as it was in earlier days ever, ever discourage you. Because you were promised the days of the Son of Man will come. Now look at verses 23 and 24. And they will say to you, look there, look here. Oh, there he is over here. Don't go away and don't run after them. For just as the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. What? In the world, does that mean? In other words, all of a sudden and unexpected, the kingdom of God will be universally visible in the destruction of Jerusalem, just as Jesus prophesied. I actually have a book in my library called The Fall of Jerusalem, The Irrefutable, Undeniable Proof of the Truth of the Christian Faith, an absolutely marvelous book. No one will foresee it. No one will expect the fall of Jerusalem, and yet all will see it when it happens. So don't believe any report. When it happens, everyone will know it. The kingdom of God was not designed to be the glory and hope of one group of people. Look here, look there, in one particular age. It was meant to give light, to quote the Old Testament, To the Gentiles, for as the lightning that lightens out of one part under heaven and skies all of a sudden, irresistibly to the other part of heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. Listen to what Matthew Henry says. The judgments that are to destroy the Jewish nation in 70 AD, to lay them waste and to deliver the Christians from them, shall fly like lightning through the land. Shall all shall lay all waste from one end of it to another, and those that are marked for this destruction can no more avoid it nor oppose it than they can a flash of lightning. He said, The gospel that is set up, Christ's kingdom in the world, shall fly like the lightning through the nations. The kingdom of the Messiah is not to be a local thing, but is to be dispersed far and wide over the face of the entire earth. It will shine from Jerusalem to all parts about. The kingdom of the earth shall be leavened by the gospel. The trophies of Christ's victory shall be erected on the ruins of the devil's kingdom, even in those countries that could never be subdued by the Roman yoke. The design of the setting up of Christ's kingdom was not to make one nation great, but to make all nations good. Beloved, is that not a great post-millennial statement? Not to make one nation great and to confine it to the Jew. It is to go throughout all the world so that it's transforming power. would make all the nations of the world good. And that is what we are called to do with the gospel. Alexis de Tocqueville said this about America in his book, Democracy in America. I went to the great industrial centers to find the reason for America's greatness. And I couldn't find it there. I went to their great educational institutions, renowned throughout the English world, and I couldn't find their greatness there. I went to their great political centers of freedom and justice to find out why they were great, and I couldn't find it there. He said, it wasn't until I went to their churches that I found out what makes America great. America is great because she is good. And when she ceases being good, she will cease being great. So what is your goal for America? Is it to make America great? You know, the great policeman of the world who everyone respects and fears? I certainly hope not. It must be to make America good again. In other words, obedient to the word of God. In fact, it should be to make her better than she has ever been by the grace of God. And this now brings us to verses 25 through 30. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying and being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Now notice what he's talking about. He's talking about things that will take place in the days of the Son of Man with reference to the effects of his coming to Jerusalem, or we could even say his intervention into history at any point in time. Luke appears to be using these words in a different sense in our text than in Matthew 24, and he spoke when he spoke of those days. And here again he speaks of them as the days of the Son of Man indicating the days surrounding his providential coming to Jerusalem to destroy it, as well as any other event in human history in which God comes. You see, Jesus could mix the language because of the similarity of the two events. The first, the fall of Jerusalem, was the precursor of the second coming. The first was the sign that the son of man reigns on earth from heaven. Matthew 24:30 says, then when Jerusalem is surrounded by Roman army, shall appear the son of man in heaven. It says, before the flood in Noah's day and before the burning up of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's day, people were living life as normal, marrying, giving in marriage, eating and drinking, working and making money, planting and building houses, and they expected life to go on as normal without interruption. They weren't concerned with Noah's warnings. In addition, in Lot's day, they lived in such evil that they had rendered themselves incapable of repentance, and in that condition, they perished in fire and brimstone. And it was just as certain that the judgment of God would fall on impenitent Jews in A.D. 70. This event would take place while everyone is thinking that life is, is just going on as normal. And the same will be true at the second coming of Christ on Judgment Day. Those who have not prepared themselves for the coming of Christ by faith and repentance will be irretrievably lost. And the same, beloved is true in any period of history when Jesus Christ intervenes and people think that nothing different can ever take place and that life will be normal. And if that is what you think, beloved, you may very soon be surprised. Here is what Matthew Henry says. This setting up of the kingdom of the Messiah would introduce the destruction of the Jewish nation, whom it would find in a deep sleep of security and drowned in sensuality. Hello, America. As the old world was in the days of Noah and Sodom in the days of Lot, when Christ came to destroy the Jewish nation in A.D. 70 by the Roman armies, that nation was found under such a reigning sense of security and dullness as this that they had warnings given by Christ and would have it repeated to them by the apostles after him as they had by Noah and Lot, but it would all be in vain." They would continue with a sense of security and invulnerability. They would go on in their neglect and opposition to Christ and His gospel until all the Christians were withdrawn from them and gone to the place of refuge in the mountains like Jesus told them to. God would provide for them on the other side of Jordan, and then a deluge of judgments would flow upon Jerusalem, which would destroy all the unbelieving Jews. One would have thought this discourse of our saviors, which was public and not long after published to the world, should have awakened them. But it did not, for the hearts of that people were hardened to their own destruction. In like manner, said Henry when Jesus Christ shall judge the world, sinners will be found in the same sense of security and careless posture altogether, regardless of the judgment approaching, which will therefore come upon them as a snare. And this judgment is absolutely certain upon the impenitent, unquote. And to prove this, the Lord says this in verses 31 through seven thirty-seven. 37. On that day, let not the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house go down to take them away. And likewise, let not the one who was in the field turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to keep his life shall lose it, and whoever loses his life shall preserve it alive. I tell you, on that night, there will be two men in bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken and one will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, there will be vultures, or eagles will be gathered. Now, this is language that Jesus used to warn people of the imminent judgment on Jerusalem and its great tribulation in Matthew 24. And its use here focuses the entire passage on that same event. This language used elsewhere... For the second coming is by this verse reduced to that tragic event in the first century when Jesus came to Jerusalem in 70 A.D. to destroy it for its unbelief. And he did it in such a way that Jesus said there would, be, there would never be anything to compare to it before or after throughout the rest of history. Now, there are several lessons we can learn here from Jesus' words. First of all, from verses 31 and 32. On that day, let not the one who was on the housetop and whose goods are in the house go down to take them away. Likewise, do not let one who was in the field turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Now, Jesus used words like this in Matthew 24 when he warns them in verse 31 to flee. Get out of town. Don't go down and get your goods out of the house. Get out of town now. But here in Luke 17, when Jesus uses these words, they do not suggest flight. They denote an attitude that Jesus is warning them of that dominated the life of those in Jerusalem before its fall. These words describe indifference toward Christ coming. They describe absorption in material interests. It says that before Jesus comes to to Jerusalem, even those people who have been warned, they will be indifferent and so absorbed in this life and the things that will end with death, such as material things in life, that they will take no regard whatsoever for the prophecies of Jesus Christ, which tell of His coming to destroy Jerusalem and the entire Jewish system. I believe in Matthew 24 that the language is literal, but in our text it is used figuratively and spiritually. One commentator said this, "'In these figurative terms, "'let not the one on the rooftop go down into his house to get his goods out. "'Don't let the one in the field turn back. "'Remember Lot's wife.' The Savior warns against sinful, selfish attachment to material things. Unquote. Now we have had, we have seen in recent sermons, one parable after another, one saying after another, about a proper attitude toward material things. And here he continues the subject. Obviously, it is an important subject. This commentator continues. For those who seek their higher happiness in material things and fix their thoughts there above all else, the coming of the Son of Man will be fraught with fatal consequences. Therefore, everyone should take care to be free of heart from material things and should give to the kingdom of God the first place in his heart and his life. And then you have these words, remember Lot's wife. By the way, do you remember Lot's wife? I personally believe that if you were to go over the Red Sea today, that you would still see her standing there. She was so absorbed in the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah That as they were fleeing, after God said, cut all ties to the city, I'm going to curse, she turned around wistfully and longingly to get one last glance of a culture she was totally committed to, totally absorbed in, and she didn't want to have to leave. And God killed her by turning her into a pillar of salt. Lot's wife looked back with a wish to recover material possessions and all of the enjoyments that came with it. She proved herself to be unworthy of the salvation that was offered her. And in like manner, the Christian whose first thought at the coming of Christ, either providentially or at at our death or at the second coming is the safety of his own goods and possessions, brothers, is unfit for the kingdom of God. Here's Matthew Henry's application. If the disciples of Christ are to be saved from judgment, and now this is, this is a great insight. I want you to please listen. And remember here that he's dealing with a verse, get out of town, don't get your possessions, don't go back to the fields, don't be so attached to this culture, don't be indifferent to Jesus' warnings. He said, if the disciples of Christ are to be saved from judgment, they must distinguish themselves from the unbelieving Jews in that day. And leaving then their city and country to flee at the signal given according to the direction that should be given. And if you remember, that was given in Matthew 24. And he says, this flight of theirs from Jerusalem must be expeditious and must not be retarded by any concern for their earthly affairs. It will be better to leave his stuff behind him than to stay and look after it and perish with them who do not believe. When they have made their escape, they must not think of returning. Do not look back as Lot's wife did. Be not hesitant to leave a place marked for destruction. Whomsoever or whatsoever you leave behind you that is ever dear to you, there will be no other way of saving their lives than by quitting the Jews. And if they thought to save themselves by a coalition with the Jews, they would find themselves mistaken." For whosoever shall seek to save his life by declining from his Christianity and complying with the Jews, he will lose it with them and perish in the common calamity. But whosoever is willing to venture his life with the Christians, to take his lot with them in life and in death, he shall preserve his life, for he shall make sure of eternal life. Those do best themselves that trust God in the way of duty." unquote. Matthew Henry says, if the disciples of Christ are to be safe from judgment, they must distinguish themselves from all unbelievers. There's no way of saving our lives than by making a clean break, beloved, if we are going to survive God's judgment. A clean break with an evil culture. You must not copy their unbelief in any way, not make coalitions, alliances, compromises with unbelief in any way. You must distance yourself from that perspective and maintain the antithesis between apostate Jerusalem and the Jerusalem that is above. In other words, maintain the antithesis between the church and the world. Then Jesus also tells us that not only does indifference damn. But self-centeredness damns us as well in verse 33. Whoever, seek, whoever seeks to keep his life shall lose it. Whoever shall lose his life shall preserve it alive. And then in verses 34 through 36, he tells that, that judgment separates people even from the closest of bonds. He says, I tell you on that night, there will be two in bed. One will be taken to judgment like those taken in judgment in Noah's day. The other will be left. There will be two women grinding in the same place. One will be taken to judgment. The other will be left and not be taken to judgment because of her repentance. Two will be in the field. One will be taken in judgment. The other will be left. Now, you may be aware of this. I'm not sure. But these are actually the classic verses the premillennialists use in which they refer to a rapture. And they say the good guys are going to be raptured out of here and the bad guys will be left behind. Beloved, it says exactly the opposite when you truly look at it in its context. The ones who are taken are those who are taken to judgment when Christ comes. The ones that are left behind are the faithful people of God who will not taste his judgment. Now, there's an important lesson for us to learn here, and that is that the closest intimacies of this life are no guarantee of unity and common life and common destiny when the Son of Man comes, unless you are both separated unto Christ.